Well, welcome to 2017. Yeah, all right. Some of you may be like, yes. Um, Some of you may be sad to see 2016 go. Maybe some of you are thinking, good riddance to 2016. What a miserable year that was. You know, there it's it's true, and I think we're all in a in a different place when it comes to that. but hopefully you've, you've put some thought to some new, some new goals, some, maybe some new dreams, um, new hopes, new adventures. Uh, let's see, we, we do have a baby up there, right? Let's, let's see that little one, Tessa. I was just thinking, where, where's Eric at? He should be up there, you know, we always doing the Lion King thing. Born on what day? Monday? Let's see that little one. Oh, wow, so little. Now, somebody dropped something out of the balcony a couple of weeks ago, so let's just be careful. Okay, let's welcome this little one to our, our congregation. Now, I'm, I'm told she looks a lot more like Eric than Tessa. Let's hope she grows out of that. Um, what, what, what's her name? I'd, Riley Dawn. And, and, and then Sam and Susan had their baby last Sunday. Oh, two weeks ago? Oh, yeah, it was the 18th. I, I was remembering it was my anniversary, but... Um, so that was two weeks ago. Wow. <laughs> Wait, doesn't it seem like the end of the year just picks up really fast and things go a lot faster than... Uh, than yeah, I, I was... Some of you saw it on Facebook this week. There was a speaker that was telling what's wrong with the generation, with, with the millennial generation. He gives four points, four things that are wrong with the, the millennials. And one of those things that he mentioned, and which I think is true for all of us in this room, actually, if you're Generation X, if you're Y, if you're sort of in between the two generations, or even if you're a baby boomer and you're, and you're here, um, I think in, in this day and age, we all succumb to, we've all been conditioned to not be patient people. To not wait for things. You know, we live in a microwave culture. If, if you want to buy something, you don't have to wait to go to Cheyenne or Scotts Bluff or even Torrington. You don't even have to leave your house, right? With the click of a button, you can have it even tomorrow. It show up right at your doorstep. Practically whatever you want. Honestly. And you don't even have to have the money to pay for it. You can just enter some numbers you know, and an expiration date and a little three-digit code on the back, and it shows up, right? Um, we are conditioned to, to get what we want when we want it and, and almost immediately, no matter what generation we're in. And, and I think that, um, that spills over into our relationships, that spills over, because life is, life is not a sprint, it is not a microwave thing, it is, it, it's, it's a marathon, Right? It's a long race. Hopefully, for all of us, life is a long race. And, um, and we're going to talk about that today. Uh, Paul, in fact, in fact gives us uh, some, some prescriptions of, of how to, to live our life and how to live this um, Christian life, because the Christian life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Now, maybe... Maybe, maybe you just started this Christian life race recently. You're a brand new Christian. Maybe you've been running it for a very, 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 very long time. Um, you know, and, and if you think about a marathon, you think about the beginning when it's a, it's, it's kind of a, hey, let's get ahead of the pack and then let's kind of set the pace. And, and when we first become a Christian, I think that's kind of where we're at and, and we're really passionate. And then, and then somewhere in the middle of, of our lifespan, um, you know, we sort of plateau in, in just our excitement and all of that. And it's just sort of, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. Just think about, I, I mean, I've never run a marathon, but this is sort of what I picture. You know, you're just putting one foot in front of the other. And, and at times in the, in that 26 miles, there's, there's a wall that sort of is there, and it's like this bear crawls on your back, and, and you, you slow down, and you begin to question, can I even make it to the end? And, and uh, hopefully, you know, you've trained well enough that, that, you, that you have the energy and you have the commitment that you're going to do it. And then, <clears throat> and then later on, once you push through those walls and you're almost to the end of, of the, the marathon or the race, you sort of might coast a little bit, you know, you, you just kind of, and maybe that's where you're at in your Christian walk. You're, you're, you, you know, you don't know when the end of your life is, but you know it's, it's probably going to be in the next 
you know, 10 years or so, something like that. And, and uh, what, what I want to tell you this morning is that no matter where you are, keep racing. Keep racing to the very end, across, till you cross the finish line. Because it truly is an amazing race. It's, it's an extraordinary race and an extraordinary life. Um, now, as far as this concept of race, uh, the race is concerned, I think, you know, Paul must have been a huge sports fan, you know, just like me, you know, because Paul, Paul uses sports metaphors a lot. He, he really does. In 1 Corinthians 9.26, he says this, I box in such a way as not beating the air. He you know, he describes the Christian life in Ephesians uh, as a struggle, using the Greek word pale, okay, which is a wrestling match or a fight. Uh, in 2 Timothy 4.7, he says, I have fought the good fight. Uh, in an allusion to the Isthmian games, which were held in Corinth, and second only in importance to the Olympics, the Greek Olympic Games, he reminded the Corinthians, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we, an imperishable. They do this race or this exercise or this strengthening for selfish reasons, uh, you know, like the three sons who left home. They went out on their own. They prospered in different ways. And a few days after their elderly mother's birthday, they discussed these gifts that they, that they gave their, their mother. And the first said, well, I built a big house for our mother. Uh, the second said, I sent her a Mercedes Benz with a driver for her birthday. The third smiled and he said, I've got you both beat. You know, because it's all about a competition, right? Um, you remember how mom enjoyed reading the Bible? And you know she can't see very well, so I sent her a remarkable parrot. It recites the entire Bible. Um, it took elders in the church 12 years to teach this parrot to recite the Bible. He's one of a kind. Mama just has to name the chapter and verse, and the parrot will, will recite it. Soon thereafter, of course, mom sent out her letters of thanks to her sons for, for these birthday presents, and, and she says, Milton... To one son, the house you built is so huge. I thank you, but I I live in only one room, but I have to clean the whole house. Uh, Gerald, she wrote to another, I am too old to travel. I stay most of the time at home, so I rarely use the Mercedes. And that driver is so rude. Dearest Donald, she wrote, and he's you know reading this. You have the good sense to know what your mother likes. The chicken was delicious. Now, these guys, it was all about a competition, right? Um, <laughs> who could give the biggest and the best gift? But, but it was straw. I mean, it, 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 was, it was something that wouldn't return anything. And Paul seemed to like this illustration of competition. And in fact, his favorite athletic metaphor is that of a foot race that of racing to win. And he uses this illustration many times uh, from Romans to 2 Timothy. Now, we all know what the rat race is, right? And, and the rat race is something that makes us tired and exhausted. And you might be feeling like you just, you know, like Christmas time, the holiday season was, was somewhat rat racist, ra- race-ish. Rat race-ish. Could you be racist against a rat? I don't think so. But, uh, but Paul speaks to us today about a different kind of race. Uh, it's the race of a lifetime. It's, it's a race that transforms our lives. And we talk about that a lot on Sunday mornings. And, and honestly, that's the race that I want to run. I don't want to just run. Uh, I mean, I want to compete and do things like that. But, but I, I want to run a race that, that in the end, it was worth it. And the, the, the race of, of the Christian life is that race. It is, it is the race. Now, for those of you, if you're here for the first time and, and you know, we're this is like message seven, I think, in, in, in Philippians. Um, Paul is writing to us from prison. Um, he's been in prison uh, for the last two years. And, and, and he writes one of the most encouraging, warm, hopeful, joyful books in all of Scripture while he's in this place. Uh, and, and last week we saw that uh, we looked at, at lists that we make, that, that, that we sometimes think that, that we put ourselves in a better place before God by having these things on our list. And we saw last week where Paul said, it's just rubbish. You know, whatever we could put on that list, it's, it's filthy rags. It's, it's meaningless. Even our righteousness is, is meaningless, meaningless in that way. Um, 
You see, because Jesus Christ is the one that justifies us. It's in Christ that we are saved, not anything that we do or anything that we say. It's in Christ. And Paul covers three biblical terms in many of his writings, um, three theological concepts, and these concepts have to do with the past, the present, and the future. These concepts are justification, sanctification, and glorification. Last week in Philippians 3.9, Paul covered our past, or our justification. The fact that, that it's not our, righteous, our righteousness that saves us. It was, the, it was the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice. He came, he came to the earth. He became one of us. He lived the perfect life. He was crucified, surrendered himself to a cross. And then three days later, in, in only the power that he has, rose from the dead. And, and gives us an opportunity to, to believe and, and live eternally with him, with him be, when we put our faith and trust in, in him as, as our Lord, as our Messiah. Um, it's because of our faith in Christ. Um, when we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts, Paul says in Romans, uh, we are counted as righteousness because of what Jesus did, not because of anything that we ever have done or ever will do. It's all Jesus. And then in 3.20 and 21, Paul covers our future. If you haven't yet, turn to Philippians chapter 3. And, and you can see right there in 20 and 21, Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's our future. That's glorification. Perfection, really. It's, it's something else that we can't do on our own. We can't glorify ourselves. Only God can do that. But there is one thing that, that we do have the responsibility and we do have a part in. Uh, we, we talked about a few weeks ago about working out our salvation. This fits in that same area. Um, it's, it's sandwiched in the middle of the past and the future. And right now, as we live our lives today, that's where we're at. And, and what, what's the theological term for that, that we're in right now, that God is doing in our life? Sanctification. Sanctification. Um, this is where our responsibility lies. This is where our work resides. As Paul said in Philippians 2, 14 and 15, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. So that we may become. Whenever you hear the word spiritual growth, that's what Paul's talking about. Growing spiritually. that's, That's this race. Christ's justification. When, When we are justified by Christ, we are placed on the track. The running track for this race. And then we begin to race. And of course, at the end of the race, when we die and we pass on into eternity, he glorifies us at that point. But, but as we are running around the track, we are uh, experiencing sanctification. So let's read 3.12 through 21, our passage for today. Um, starting in verse 12. Not that I this is Paul speaking, have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have, been, as I have often told you before and now, say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So there's this race um, to be run. Why should we run it? Why, why is it even important that we partake in this? Well, I, I think it's because in First Peter 1, 4, Peter says this. He says that Christ has given us 
into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Kept in heaven for us. We, are, we, have been, we have inherited something, and we are in this right now, and that's one reason to run this race. First Peter, uh, Peter goes on to say in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, because this is true, because you have been given into this inheritance, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Why? Because we can't help it. Because because we have tasted that the Lord is good. You know, honestly, I I don't like to stay mediocre really at anything. Um, Do you? I mean... Don't, don't you want to, to get better at whatever it is that you do, whether you're a parent or uh, hopefully as a, as a kid, you know, when you're at school? Don't you want to get better at math? Don't you want to get better at English? Don't you want to be, get better at your job? Um, don't you want to get better at retirement? Right? I mean, honestly, um, if you just sort of kick back, throw your feet up and say, well, I did life, that's really no way to end the race. I mean, stay involved, stay active, keep, keep running the race. Uh, let me give you seven quick reasons, and these are going to be really quick. I'm not going to give much explanation to each. You can think about them later. Why run the race? Why run the race? First of all, it glorifies God. I mean, God is glorified by our running the race because it's because of him that we're in this race in the first place. And, and we're, we're running for him. We're, we're glorifying him. We're working. The second thing, it's, it's evidence of our salvation. You know, James said that that if a man claims to have faith, but there's no deeds along with that, what kind of faith is that? So, so it's, it's a both and, really. It's, 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 and it's not, again, it's not those good deeds that, that give us salvation. It's those good deeds are a result of our salvation. It's because of the change that's happening. Uh, it exemplifies the truth of God to others. As you run the race before others in your life, and they see the decisions you make, and they see the things that you do, it, it, it's an example to them. Uh, of God. Uh, the fourth thing, it preserves believers from the sorrow and suffering associated with spiritual immaturity. You know, it, 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 running the race, intentionally focusing and keeping the kingdom of God before us, it, it helps us not make bad decisions on a daily basis. You know, and that saves us pain and suffering and, and agony. Um, we learn patience and grace for one another. For others. It, uh, the next thing, it protects the cause of Christ from criticism. Now, the cause of Christ is going to be criticized, but, but essentially running the race, uh, it, it takes away fair criticism. And what I mean by that is if we screw up, if we're being a hypocrite, we should be criticized. Somebody should call us on the carpet for that. But if we're, if we're running the race strong... And, and faithfully, if there's criticism that comes, it's, it's not valid. It produces joy. It, it really does. There, there, you know, there's something about finishing a race. You know, a few years back, Sarah and I did the, the warrior dash. They call it a dash. I think it was like it was a 10K or something like that. It was at Copper Mountain, and you had to go over things and crawl through mud and go under things and all of that. And we didn't win. I kind of wanted to, but, but we didn't. But at the end, you know, of all of the thousands of people that ran it, it was like, yeah, we did that. We, we did that. You know, there was some satisfaction and contentment there um, and lots of exhaustion and sore muscles. And then the last thing is this. It inspires others in our world to do the same. Aren't you inspired by other people when you see them, you know, gutting it out or whatever, whether it's an athletic event or, you know, I mean, did it, did it inspire you to see Ohio State finish the game strong last night? No, I see heads shaking. Well, you know, they didn't quit. They ha- you know, it's, it's good to see kids keep playing hard. And uh, there has to be a winner and a loser and, and things like that. You know, running the race matures us. It, uh, pursuing the prize, pushing toward a goal, working on things that are important in our life. And in today's passage, Paul outlines some things that running, 
this race requires, okay? And so we're going we're gonna to look at six things that running the race, the Christian life, requires, according to Paul, in Philippians chapter 3. The first one, it's, it's in verse 12. Um, it's proper awareness. Proper awareness is, is uh, required. I mean, we, in regards to eternity and salvation, we have to have the proper awareness. It's, it's only Jesus Christ. It's only Jesus Christ. All that we have now as believers in Christ and what we will enjoy forever in heaven, in all of eternity, it's all him, not us. It's, it's been eternally fixed by God's gracious purpose. That, that spiritual reality can't be improved on. That's not why we run the race hard and we want to do well in it so that we can improve our standing before God. That's, that, that, that doesn't work. Our standing will not be any higher or any less than what it is already. But the reality that our virtues and faithfulness in this present life uh, can and must be improved, I think is equally true. You know, God wants us to grow and mature. We want our children to grow and mature, right? Um, we, as parents, we've, we feel like we've done our job when they go off into the world and they make good decisions and they, and they, and they get a, a, a decent job and, and, and they experience the joy in life just as, as we have. And, and then they experience the same things as they raise their families. And then, you know, the grandkids come home and we spoil them rotten. We give them all those things that, that their parents don't want them to have. Yeah. Paul was well aware of this truth in his own life. I mean, we see in verse 12, Paul says, not that. Paul's saying, I haven't reached perfection. I know. Paul knows. He's aware of his standing before God and, and what that all. Um, he has not yet become perfect. He repeats the word a couple times, in fact, in this passage. And, and he's been at this Christian life thing for over 30 years. And of all the people you would think, Paul, would, he would get it. He would, he would somehow attain perfection, but it's, it's impossible. But we pursue the prize. We run the race called the Christian life. And it requires us to be aware that we're sinners and that we need a Savior, a proper awareness. Running the race also requires maximum effort. Paul says, I press on. I press on, which means to run or to, to follow after. And it's an aggressive energetic endeavor in the language that he's using. Paul has pursued this spiritual prize with all of his might, straining every spiritual muscle as he runs to, to win, to, to cross the finish line. Even when faced with chains, even when faced with execution, Paul doesn't say, I'm done. He doesn't like some people that run a marathon or run a race. I, I actually had a relative in high school, and she, she always ran the two-mile, but often she didn't finish it. And you would, you would see her, you would see when the bear would climb on her back, and it would be on a corner where there isn't a lot of people, and she would just, she would slow down, she would stop, and then she would just do this into the infield and just sort of mix in with the other kids that were there. You know, let's not do that. Let's, we, we need to, to run with maximum effort. Paul, even in chains, chooses joy in the midst of this, this race of the Christian life. And the same can be true of us. And it, it's a lifelong pursuit of Christ-likeness. Uh, Jesus says that he wants us to be like him. And that doesn't happen overnight. In our microwave culture, that doesn't happen overnight. That happens over time. It's a long pursuit. Uh, it's following in, 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 in the footsteps of Jesus. You know, many of us are here today because we're in it to win it. I mean, that's why you're here. It's New Year's Day. There's football games on right now, and you're sitting here in church or at home watching on Facebook because you couldn't get here, right? Paul wanted to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Take hold can also be translated to overtake, to seize, to catch. Paul was running spiritually to catch the very thing for which Jesus had come after him. Paul's life goal, his maximum effort, was consistent with Jesus' goal in saving him, in growing him, in maturing him. Third, running the race takes focused concentration. 
Focused concentration. Look at verse 13. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Paul is seeking first the kingdom of God. He is intently focused on that. He's keeping his eye on the carrot, so to speak. Too many times we can succumb to the doubt that Satan would, would have us to believe that our past repentance is useless, that, that it doesn't matter, that Jesus really hasn't forgiven us or justified us. And, and, and then as we dwell on, on that past, we lose sight of what's ahead. I mean, if you're sitting here today or you go home today and, and, and all you do is dwell on 2016 and how horrible it was and the bad things, what, that's, it's going to be depressing. It's going to be discouraging. And you're going you're to start believing that there's no hope for the future. Paul says, forget about that. He says, forget about what's behind and stray towards what's ahead. You know, sometimes setbacks can take our focus off Jesus, right? We need to learn quickly from our setbacks. We, we, you, you see, joy in running the amazing race and living the extraordinary life um, doesn't only happen if we never face setbacks. I couldn't figure out any better way to say that sentence. It, it's, it's not just amazing and extraordinary if life is good. You know, we, we need those struggles. We need those setbacks. God has things that he wants to teach us. We can learn from them. I mean, now, don't you love those stories of people when early in their life it was like heartbreak after heartbreak? Now, of course, it's, it's if that happens to other people. Heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak. And then, and then something happens and all of a sudden, you know, their life is as a success. You know, I don't know why I always think, you know, at the end of that Notre Dame game, everybody's cheering, Rudy, 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 right? Because he finally got to play in a game. Um, there's, and there was setback after setback after setback. Beethoven was told by his teacher that he would be hopeless as a composer. Walt Disney was fired in his early life by a newspaper because he wasn't creative and didn't have any ideas. Michael Jordan said, and I quote, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games on 26 occasions. I have been entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life. Unquote. So were Beethoven, MJ, or Walt Disney failures? No, they weren't. Um, Do we have any Cubs fans here today? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's Cubs fans. Well, the Chicago Cubs had not been in the World Series in 69 years, and they hadn't won in over 100 years. Now, this illustration would have been a lot better six months ago. But so up until last World Series, were the Cubs a failure? Well, maybe that's a bad example. No, they just achieved widely spaced greatness. Okay. You see, joy or success in the race of life isn't judged by whether or not we've suffered a setback or not, or whether things are going really well or not. That's not the way success is. Um, but as we run the amazing race, we learn from those setbacks and we move forward. I, I, of all of the, uh, the graduation speeches I've ever heard in my life, and I've heard a lot of them. There's one that I remember, uh, and it was, it was Keith Kautz's. And, and one of the things that he told, he told the graduates was to, you're going to fail, you're going to fall on your face, but when you do, fall forward. Fall forward. I love that. Um, you see, because we do have a choice. Setbacks will change us. They will change us. Uh, and, and not necessarily for the better. But that's a choice and a decision that we have to make ourselves. We must choose. Are we going to be bitter or are we going to be better? When we face a setback, that's the the crossroads that we're at. We can learn from it. We can grow from it. And and I believe the difference in those who have experienced the most in life and those who who have given up on life is found in their willingness to learn from their mistakes and change. Learn quickly from our setbacks, then forget them. Forget what's behind, strain toward, strain toward what's ahead, Paul says. And let's strain toward uh, what's ahead with focused concentration. Fourth, let's run the race in 2017 with proper motivation. 
That's found in verse 14. Paul says this, look at it. The goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The prize, the prize is what motivated Paul, it seems. Prize, I mean, prizes sure motivate me, right? Do they motivate you? I mean, any, any game that I'm currently playing, there's, there's like achievements, there's badges, there's things that they give you along the way, little kernels of success to, to keep you addicted to that game or whatever, to keep you um, working hard in that. You know, if, if you get a job at McDonald's, what, what do they promise you? That if you work hard, that if you're trustworthy, you can move up, you can make more money, you'll be given more responsibility. Um, that is a prize that we see. Paul didn't give up even though that he knew that what he was working for was literally unattainable by himself in his own power. He couldn't do it, but he was still running the race for the prize. Now, you might be saying, well, why would you even do that? Why would you work hard at something that you know that you can't attain yourself? And we kind of grow up in that way, right? Why would I do extra work at work if I'm not going to get a bonus or something for that? Well, Take these two examples. A basketball player, for example, doesn't expect to make every shot or to never miss a free throw in a game, but that's how they practice. They practice to make every shot, to make every free throw. It doesn't happen, but that's how they practice. Or what about a baseball player? A baseball player doesn't expect to hit the ball or to get on base every time. I mean, in the world of baseball, if you make contact and get on base four out of every ten times at bat, you're a superstar. That's only 40%. But that's why they practice so hard, right? That's the goal that's set before them, and our pursuit of the Christian life can be the same. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus in verse 14 is speaking of the end. That's the future when our bodies and souls come together and we will be glorified with him in heaven, which can only be accomplished by God. He's the one that does that work. But like Paul, we press on. That's the prize. That's, that's our focus. We also need to have a proper recognition. It's in verse 15. Paul was not in the spiritual race alone. You know, it includes all Christians described here by the phrase, as many as are perfect. Now, he's not, he's not speaking of actual perfection, because that would contradict what he says in other places. Um, it, it's thought that rather he's using a play on words here, that, that his description uh, of believers are those who are positionally perfect in Christ, not practically, Okay? God sees us that way because we are covered by the blood of Jesus. Um, and Paul's use of perfect may be a bit double-edged with a tinge of sarcasm here in this passage. Uh, because, you know, he's speaking to some of these false teachers who were not perfect in practice, nor were they perfect in position. So we must properly recognize that we're all sinners saved by grace. And finally, we need to have the proper conformity seen in verse 16. Uh, Only let us live, Paul says, up to what we have already attained. That's the New American Standard. Paul says one more thing. One more thing. As believers, let's stay on the spiritual path that we have been following. You're on it. Stay on it. Don't, Don't wander off. I mean, you've got to stay in your lane in a 400-meter, they call it a sprint now. When I was in, in track, it was not a sprint. It is today. You've got to stay in your own lane. You can't leave your lane. And if you do, you get disqualified. Now, I'm not saying we can be disqualified from eternal life, for sure, but we need to stay in our lane. We need to stay focused, and we need to conform. We need to be consistent And the main resource for this is this. It's the Word of God. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God or woman may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So oftentimes, I 
I don't think it's a, a lack of knowledge on our part, although if you're a, a, a brand new Christian, you know, that's what you have before you have all of this, all of this new stuff that you can learn about, about life, about the Christian life. But for many, it's, it's, not a, it's not a lack of knowledge, it's a lack of obedience. Um, we know it, we just don't want to do it. And Paul's saying as we run the race, this Christian life, this amazing race, we need to stay conformed to God's word. You know, living the extraordinary life in 2017, uh, as we run the amazing race, let's pursue the prize with awareness, maximum effort, focused concentration, proper motivation, recognition, and conformity. And then in the end of our passage today, Paul cautions us. He says there are people that will try to get our focus off the prize, and there are people that are lost. I mean, he's, he's tearfully writing this and thinking about these people that, that are deceived and are lost, and there's many examples for us to avoid and to be aware of that are happening in the lives of other people so that we can shine the good news into their life. Many, he says in verse 19, live as enemies of the cross. There will be enemies to your pursuit in 2017. Here's four truths about them, and I want to do them fairly quickly. Their end is destruction, Paul says. Ugh, it's yucky news. Without being justified by Christ, their end, the Greek word telos, refers to their ultimate destiny. No matter how full their resume is with good things, when they take their last breath, and they leave this planet, it will be eternal destruction. It will be hell. Uh, Matthew 25, 46 speaks of this. You can write that in your notes and read that later. Matthew 25, 46. 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 says this. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. Their end will be destruction. Those friends that you have, that you're really close to, that you love, that don't know Christ, that's the eternity that they're facing without him. And Paul is, is weeping over this. Paul says their God is their belly or their stomach. Their appetite, their, their desires are for all unrestrained, sensual, fleshly, bodily desires. The false teachers, these enemies of the cross, were condemned because they didn't bow down to Jesus. But they bowed down, bowed down to their sensual desires. In fact, um, Jude describes these people as in, in this way. They are men whose condemnation was written about long ago, who have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Shockingly, Paul says that their glory really is their shame. He's saying that they held up the despicable things that they did as trophies, and they, they legitimized them as high achievements. In fact, they celebrate things they should be ashamed of. Now, that never happens in our culture, right? I mean, you've never heard someone talk about and laugh about how drunk they got that night before at a party, or you've never heard anyone talk about or celebrating how many sexual partners they've had. Um, if you've spent any amount of reckless time on the internet or on YouTube, it's filled with people that are living this way. Honestly, trying to, trying to be glorified by doing really stupid things, right? You know, we're not talking about cat and cute puppy videos here. We're talking about people doing really dumb things capturing it on video and throwing up there to see how many views or likes they can get. I mean, um, that's, that's what Paul is saying. There's, there's people that are, that are doing this, and they're enemies of the cross, and they're lost. They're lost. And Jesus loves them deeply. He loves them. Now, if this is you, 
Spend some time with Jesus and ask for his forgiveness. If, if, you've just been, if, if you've been glorifying sin in your life or justifying it, repent of it and, and turn your life over to him completely. And then Paul says this, their minds are set on earthly things. They live selfishly. These men and women, they're living selfishly. They only look out for themselves. Everything they do is about their desires, their wants, their pleasures what they can get. But as Christians, as Christ followers, Paul says, our minds should be, are, can be on the more important things, as Jesus said to Mary and Martha. The enemies of the cross, whether they add to the gospel or take away from it, are to be avoided, never imitated. Never imitated. But that's, we we can fall into that. We can fall into that. Now, I've pointed this out before and over and over and over again. Uh, and God calls us to this every day. First four is, or, or point four is this. In 2017, let's live for a purpose greater than ourselves. Let's live for a purpose greater than ourselves. The Apostle Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. And Paul would start some of his letters to the church, to the churches by saying, by saying this, There are only two things you need to know about me. Number one, my name is Paul. Number two, I love Jesus a lot and I'm serving him. That's how Paul would start out many of his letters. Two things you need to know about me. My name and what I live for. And that was Jesus Christ. My whole life, Paul would say, is about serving Christ and others. That's what matters. Look at Philippians 3.12 at the end of that. Paul says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. My purpose in living is to take hold of God's purpose for my life and to live that out. God has given each one of us one life on this earth. You have one. And it will soon be over. As as fast as 2017 went, the rest of your life will go just as quickly. How long we don't know it's going to go, right? But how will you, how will we invest what time we do have this year? Maybe you have a day this year. Maybe you have all of the days this year. And many years after that. I don't know. We only get so many trips around the sun. And they're numbered. We only get so many flips through the Six calendars that the banks and everybody brings you at the new year. Now, I want, I want to read to you some very wise words. They were written by a, a philosophy professor. Uh, his name is Lewis Smedes. You might know Lewis Smedes. I didn't know Lewis Smedes until I read this illustration. Um, he was so bright, it was scary. Have you ever known somebody like this? I mean, they were just really intelligent. I had a professor like that one time. We asked him a question. As in, in a, it was a theology uh, systematic theology class at seminary. And we asked him this question about this concept, and he looked at us. He was one of those egghead guys, right? I mean, literally, he had a big head. He was the president of a college by, by, by the time he was 23 years old. Um, anyway, he says, well, I could explain it to you, but you still wouldn't understand it. And I mean, we were okay with that answer because we knew it was true. Well, there was a student who caught Lewis Smedes in a, uh, what he calls a logical flaw during a lecture. His professor was wrong. But he didn't want to point it out in the classroom. And he said, and I quote, I would have, but I was afraid he'd prove I didn't exist. <laughs> right? That's how smart this guy was. Well, when World War II broke out, he went to sign up for the army with dreams of being a hero, but he had this problem. When he entered high school, he was six foot two and weighed 95 pounds. By the time he hit 18 and went to a list, enlist, he had not filled out a whole lot. He took his shirt off and they told him to go home. Uh, he tried to give blood. They looked at him and told him, you need every drop you have. They wouldn't even take his blood. When he got married, he and his wife wanted more than anything what they wanted more than anything was to have kids, and they couldn't for years. And finally, miraculously, they got pregnant, gave birth to a little boy that lived one day and died. Then they had to wrestle with God about that. Then they adopted children, and he became a dad. 
And, and I want to, to read for you what this really smart guy wrote about investing our life. He wrote this over 20 years ago in a book called How Can It Be All Right When Everything Is All Wrong? Might, might be a good pickup right now to read. This is what he says. I brought... I, brought, I bought a brand new date book yesterday, the kind I use every year, spiral-bound black imitation leather cover wrapped around pages and pages of blank squares. Every square has a number to tell me which day of the month I am in at that moment. Every square is a frame for one episode of my life. Before I'm through with the book, I will fill the squares with classes I teach, people with whom I ate lunch, committee meetings I sit through, and these are only the things I cannot afford to forget. I fill the squares, too, with things I do not write down for me to remember. Thousands of cups of coffee, some lovemaking, some praying, and I hope gestures of help to my neighbors. Whatever I do, it has to fit inside one of those squares in my date book. I live one square at a time. The four lines that make up the square are the walls of time that organize my life. Everything I do has to fit into a square. Each square has an invisible door that leads to the next square. As if by a silent stroke, the door opens and I'm pulled through it as if by a magnet sucked into the next square in line. There, I will again fill the time frame that seals me. Fill it with my busyness, just as I did the square before. As I get older, the squares seem to get smaller. One day, I will walk into a square that has no door. There will be no mysterious opening and no walking into an adjoining square. One of the squares will be terminal. I do not know which square that will be. In December 2002, Lewis was putting up his Christmas lights on his house in Arcadia, California, 81 years old, on a ladder, slipped, hit his head, went into a coma, and died a few days later. That final square, the one he wrote about 20 years earlier, came for him the week before Christmas. The service for this brilliant man who taught, preached, and wrote books that touched hundreds of thousands of people was packed. But the people who spoke the most unforgettable words that day were his son and his daughter. They said what mattered to them was not all the degrees he had, not his remarkable IQ, not his amazing gifts as a speaker, not any of the books that he's written. What mattered to them was the single title, Dad. What mattered to them was that he had filled his squares really wisely. This amazing man could have been, attempt, could have been tempted to fill his squares with other things that were impressive at the expense of what mattered, his kids. But He filled his squares wisely so that when that last one came, as it always does, he was ready. One day you will enter that square, and so will I. As surely as we are in this room right now, one day that final square will come for us. And in between that day and this day, we have some squares to fill. Nobody knows how many you get. I do know this. What you fill each square up with is up to you. It's not up to your boss. It's not up to your spouse. It's not up to our culture. It's up to you. And as we reflect on the coming year and the amazing race that's set before us, God is saying, fill your squares wisely. I value you so much. Invest your life wisely. Philippians 3.10 Paul says, I want to know Christ and the powers of resurrection. I pray that that's you this morning. In John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from God, we can do nothing. We will never come to the fullest purpose that God intends for us. God designed it that way. He created us this way. It is only through a relationship with Jesus Christ that God's best is seen in us. Apart from that, the Bible says, We can do nothing. Through a relationship with Jesus Christ, our purpose is realized. We can't and aren't running the race unless we ask for God's help. Ask for God's involvement. It's as simple as that. You know, oftentimes we go through life and we never even do that. We never take enough time to sit down and say, God, I need your help. 
if you've never done that, if you've never laid your life bare before him and said, God, it's all yours. I've made a mess of it. I'm not even sure I'm in the race. I believe that you're real. We just celebrated your birth. A few months we're going to celebrate his death and resurrection. I believe that actually occurred in history. And that you rose from the dead. And and I want to put my faith and trust in you. Because you see, Jesus is calling all of us to come follow him. I think that's the great thing. You know, as we run the race of life, Jesus is right out there in front of us. Sometimes slowing down a little bit to, to run next to us and, and encourage us and to, to help us along. And sometimes sprinting ahead to, to give us something to, to strive for and to, to, to push towards. You know, when we say yes to God, watch what he does with our life. Watch what he does with your life in 2017. We celebrate communion this morning. Worship team, come on up here. You know, Jesus, in, in relationship with this, his disciples, encouraging them, challenging them, d- disciplining them at times, you know, those many times when Peter stuck his foot in his mouth. Jesus brought them along. On that night before he was crucified, he left them a symbol and he said, look, I want you to do this until I come again. And when he was sitting with his disciples, he he took the bread and he broke it and he said, guys, this represents my body, which is broken for you. And we know a lot more what that means today than they did in that moment when he did it. But they partook of that with him. And Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And we will do this as Christ followers this morning. When it's passed, take a piece. And then Jesus passed the cup. And Jesus said, this cup represents my blood shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. And they did. Knowing a little bit about what that meant, but over time in their life, I think is, I mean, can you, can you imagine the, the disciples sitting around a campfire or a, a fire on the beach or a table you know, together 10 years? Maybe they had their 10-year disciple reunion, right? They lived real life. And they, they, they partook. Can you imagine what that was like? Do you guys remember when I just remember what, that one time when Jesus was doing this and he sneezed. Ah, they all laughed, whatever. They partook of the bread and they remembered that Jesus, they watched him die. His body broken for them. And they partook of the cup. They remembered. And that's what I want you to do this morning. Remember. Remember that sacrifice. Let's celebrate it this morning. The servers will pass it, take a piece of bread and a cup, and when you're ready as the worship team plays, 